2: Welcome to the show. We begin a brand new week. We were just talking here in the studio about how fast time flies. It's like we open a week, we close a week, and then we're here all over again. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to the Word to Stand on for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions or Pretty much anything on your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area here in San Antonio, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app with hands-free feature. Just push one button, call now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, our primary number is 340-9585. Before we get to some questions and wait for your phone calls, I'd like to remind you that on Mondays we have men's, women's, and youth Bible studies uh, going on here at 7 o'clock. Paula will be teaching the ladies tonight. Uh, Pastor Ken, of course, will be teaching the men's Bible study. Our high school pastor, Pastor Nelly, will be teaching the high school age youth. And Chris Sanchez teaches the junior hires. Uh, It's a great night to bring the whole family to to do the Bible study. A little smaller groups, a little more uh, intimate, and you can ask questions. uh, So we'd love to have you join us let me get to some questions the first one is about Miguel or from Miguel Uh, it says Pastor what do you think about the growing fears over climate change Uh, should we be worried Uh, Miguel I'm I think maybe this was in a Bible study or maybe it was on this program last week I addressed this um, a little bit you know we I know what it was it was uh, Wednesday night um, last this past Wednesday a week ago um, we were in in uh, the the prophecy of Isaiah, and he was teaching on or prophesying about the, the millennial kingdom of Christ on earth. So uh, I'm not at all afraid of climate change. Uh, I think it is a manufactured crisis. Our Lord holds all things together. Um, we know, you know, with all of the chicken little types who are crying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Um, people saying there's only 12 years before it's too late and the world is going to be ruined. Jesus, not humans, Jesus is the one holding this world together. And as we learned in the Bible study, Miguel, on last Wednesday night, um, the, the, the earth in its present form has to be here when Jesus comes back, establishes his kingdom, establishes his kingdom in the millennial age, And he'll rule and reign from Jerusalem. This earth, not a new heaven, new earth, that comes after the thousand years, this earth has to be here. Here's one of the things, Miguel, that I hope uh, I can encourage you with and and anybody else that's listening. You know, the world is always afraid of things. Um, If we really believe our Bibles, then we know what's true and what's not true. And it's impossible that this world is going to fade away if, in fact, the Bible says it's not. So here's what I know for sure. If Jesus were to come right now, this minute, we would have 1,007 years before the world would be destroyed. And then he'll replace it with a new heaven and a new earth. So, Miguel, don't be worried about these kind of things. Uh, By the way, I'm going to be doing my next Bible study in in the Gospel of Luke on Sunday. uh, It's all about worrying. I talked a little bit about it yesterday, but it's going to be all about worrying. And we worry about so many things. And I, I think what we need to do is stop reading all of the junk and start reading our Bibles and really, really ask God for the faith to believe what he's written. So, no, I wouldn't be worried at all. Miguel, I think one of the biggest dangers of this hysteria over climate change in our world is what it's doing to our children. They're being raised in fear of something that they needn't be afraid of. Kevin says, uh, are you familiar with N.T. Wright and is he someone that I can listen to? I am familiar with N.T. Wright. He is an Episcopal priest. Um, really, 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 really a smart guy, Kevin. I mean, really a smart guy. Um, but but obviously, as smart as he is, he's got a lot of doctrinal issues. First of all, the Episcopal Church has thrown away the Bible a long time ago, and and while he's um, uh, less guilty of that than others, uh, he's the one that, that has been such an influence with so many younger men um uh, because he's persuasive he's uh, he's he's uh, easy to listen to um my biggest problem with NT Wright is his position on penal substitutionary atonement um he just simply does not believe that that uh, god's wrath was poured out on jesus in our place and i believe that that is, is one of the things kevin that is essential to our faith, if, if the substitutionary atonement of, of, of Jesus Christ on the cross isn't in your theology, then your theology is wrong, it's going to lead to all other kinds of problems. Now, N.C. Wright likes to take sort of a progressive view on some things, not a heretical view, but a progressive view on some things, and he, he, he sort of outsmarts himself with nuance sometimes, But this is the primary one. There's plenty of his teachings that are available. He is a prolific author. Um, But uh, I I just cannot get around um, substitutionary atonement. Jesus said, uh, or Isaiah the prophet said, speaking of Jesus, that the price of our peace was placed upon him. And if that's not true... And then we don't know much at all about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Thank you, Kevin. Let's go to San Antonio and I'm talking with Gloria on line one. Gloria, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
3: Hi, Pastor Ron. Thank you for praying for me and any, anyone else that pray for me. Um, you got uh, it. I'm on my way to work. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Um, I'm on my way to work, and but I stopped to talk to you. And, um I didn't sleep too well today because I was afraid. I'm afraid of the supervisor. She's going to be mad at me today or not. Uh, I did talk to the higher up, and he didn't know anything about what she told me, that uh, she was going to have the other patrol um, uh, do some work for her. He said he didn't know anything about that. But that for me to call him back and find out if I was still on patrol because Monday, I was now on patrol again, and he said that uh, he would take care of the other, uh, uh, the other supervisor, um, at his end, and to get back to him. So um, uh, by Tuesday, I, don't, I guess he, even before I got a chance to talk to him, uh, I guess he sent the word to to the other supervisor for that week, for last week, uh, because he he told me he wasn't happy about it. He said, uh, um, Ms. Cora, you're gonna get to, you're gonna get to patrol, uh, nine o'clock. Okay. And i said, okay. And I'll be, I'll be 65, Pastor Ron, and in the first week of June. So I understand that <laughs> on the, the younger folks, some more experienced. Uh, but, but the thing, Mr., Mr., Pastor Ron, is that last year, at the, the last year, uh, they uh, they had a wonderful opportunity for anyone that wanted to cross train for patrol or in some of the other areas at work that we could just sign up for it. Well, I always wanted to patrol, and I only got like five or six more years before I retired, so I always wanted to patrol. So I was the only one to sign up for it on the night shift. I was the night shift. <laughs> it's not going well for me. I don't think that... They, not, they, young not supervisors. They want the young folks there, but yeah. so it's not going well for me on, on that. In that respect, so Mr. Miss, miss, uh The supervisor that the uh, higher up today, and I let him know that I was afraid to go to work because the supervisor that told me these things about she. She put the other supervisor there. He said, he said, well, if she, if you see anything, let me know, and. Yeah, I understand. You know, me being afraid, but he said that the other, the other, the other coworker that she put on uh, on um, on patrol because I know he's well experienced. He knows how to do everything. He said that he was not supposed to be patrol at all, ever. That's what hmm. he said.
2: Well, Gloria, thank, thank, you, thank you for letting us know, and we'll be in prayer. So keep us posted, and, and uh, I, I'm thinking you're going to be just fine. I'm shocked when you said you were 65; you sound like you're 25 on the radio. So, uh, God bless you, and please take care and be safe, and let us know what's going on. Thank you, Gloria. for your live calls and questions. I really appreciate it when people call in with prayer need and they um, follow up. I really appreciate that. Very, very much keeps us informed and helps us better be able to pray. Eddie has a question. He says, the Bible clearly says that Jesus is coming to earth two times and not three. If the rapture were true, it would mean that he's coming three times. Eddie, you're not reading your Bible carefully. Jesus is coming to the earth twice. He's been here once. We all know that. The next time when he comes will be when he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 19. And those are his two visits to earth the rapture however Jesus doesn't come to earth he meets us in the air if you understand that then there's no problem at all with that he meets us in the air John chapter 14 he tells his disciples do not let your hearts be troubled trust in God trust also in me in my father's house are many rooms I'm going there to prepare a place for you He says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me where I am. We will be caught up in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we're going to be caught up and meet the Lord in the air. And he's going to take us to be with him for the seven years of the great tribulation. That is going to be, Eddie, our marriage supper of the Lamb. And you don't want to miss it. So the rapture is true. It has to be true. Um, Eddie, I think this is the first question that I've got from you, but I always tell people if you want a a complete and thorough teaching on the rapture, you can go to our website, calvaryessay.com, and go to the book of Revelation. Uh, When you get there and you see the study in chapter 4, it's always the very first study I do in chapter 4, and I go... Old Testament through the New Testament talking about the rapture of the church why it has to be a pre-tribulation rapture and um, that'll give you all the information you need but read your Bible more carefully Jesus is coming to earth twice the second time he'll be with us or we'll be with him I should say and the angels will be with us as well um, but the, the the rapture which could happen at any moment um, we're going to be caught up and we will be with the Lord in the air. Here is a question from Adam. I haven't got a Rick Warren question in a long time. He said, "Uh, Pastor do you recommend Rick Warren's ministry and teaching? There's a lot of disagreement about him on the Internet. Uh, Adam, uh, I don't don't know that I recommend it, but I certainly don't think it's harmful. Um, I know Rick Warren a little bit, and uh, Rick Warren is a Christian. Take it to your heart he is genuinely believer I don't know why he inflames such hatred Uh, he is really a non-controversial teacher now he doesn't do things the way I would do them Um, but but you know what God has entrusted him with this huge church and given him worldwide influence there's a lot of things I could pick apart and say, well, this is not right or this is not the way I would say something. But but here's what I can tell you for sure. Rick Warren is a believer who loves Jesus with all of his heart. And while I am most adamantly opposed to, to, to formulas, 40 Days of Purpose and the other things he does, uh, celebrate recovery, those kind of things, um, there's nothing heretical at all about his teachings. Adam, if you've got any level of discernment at all, you can listen to his teaching. You can be blessed by some of it. Others of it you can just sort of pick apart and and not have to worry about it. But um, the one thing I really would would hope that you would do is stop reading about him on the internet and what other people have to say. It's always an amazing thing to me. Um, we Christians online, I guess we forget we're Christians, or we we forget that the rules apply to us. We forget about the law of love. We forget about being nice and kind and gentle. Instead, we become ravenous wolves with a keyboard in front of us. And Rick Warren is just one of those guys. Success always generates haters, but uh, believe me, there is nothing ungodly about Rick Warren's ministry. Uh, and um, th- there's just nothing edifying for you, Adam, regarding um, or, or your time spent on the internet reading about him. Go ahead and read. Use your discernment. Um, his his ministry fine. Rick actually said one time. He said uh, th- there actually were some Calvary Chapel guys who are really strongly against Rick Warren's teaching. And 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 he said, why do they? Why do Calvary guys hate me sometimes? There's no answer other than that we forget who we are, I guess. Here's an anonymous question. Uh, Is it a sin to join the army since we're called to be loyal only to Jesus? I can honestly say, anonymous, first time I've ever had that question, and I've answered, it seems like, thousands of questions over the years on this program alone. Uh, No, it's not a sin. Uh, when we make a, a, an oath, we sign an oath or we swear an oath to the United States or to the Army or to the Air Force or any of the other um, armed forces, uh, we're not denying our loyalty to Jesus. We're serving Jesus in our service in the military. So no, it's not a sin to join the army at all. Uh, if that's the way you're led, then feel free to to join and uh, be a light for jesus christ i can tell you this it is uh, a place of that's that's often very very dark and needs a lot of light uh, anonymous we just had a a, a kid from our school um uh, sure she's been here since he was a little kid um but he just last week graduated from boot camp he went into the army i think he was in georgia or someplace and i got pictures of him you know his graduation he just looks like a tall skinny kid but uh, uh, he's just doing great this kid loves jesus with all of his heart in fact um, he recommitted himself at boot camp realizing that if he's not close to jesus that this place would consume him so uh, he's rightly representing the lord no sin at all anonymous um, oh, my producer just said I was asked a similar question two years ago. I don't know how he knows that, but God bless him for letting me. That's, I thought, the first one. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Gail. Uh, she says, I'm reading a book on the role of women in the church, and it's making me rethink my position on women not being elders. Your thoughts? Gail, there's all kinds of things that you can read about roles in church. Uh, But the only thing that you need to read and depend on is the word of God. Um, You know, the, the books that are making to rethink your position that women can't be elders. And by the way, when we talk about elders, that is pastors, the role that we call pastors here. Uh, elders or bishops, um, overseers, another translation says. But it always refers to the role of a man in the church who is the pastor of the church. Now, in the uh, New Testament times, uh, the churches were small. They were house churches, and they would be spread throughout an area or a region. And so there would be a lot of them, thus the plural application of the word elders. Um, but uh, those men, and they were always to be men, Uh, gifted or called to be a pastor. They were the ones that were the spiritual authority in those churches. Now, um, I don't know what book you're reading. I'm familiar with several of them. But those books are written, Gail, with an agenda. And the agenda is, well, I think women are equal. By the way, God does too. And I don't think that that women should be prevented from doing anything. But one of the things, Gail, that we have to remember here is that, that the church isn't ours to remake or remodel. It's not up to us to decide what the rules are. It's up to us as servants of God to follow the rules. The Bible says as clearly as it can possibly say that Christ is the head of the church. That means he makes the rules. He establishes the guidelines and we say yes Lord now Gail the people that write these books they can ask Jesus when they get to heaven if they have the temerity to do so well well, why did you discriminate against women and of course we'll know the truth then and we'll know that's not possible um, men are pastors because that's what the Bible says First Timothy chapter 2 every every mention for elders in, the, in, the, in, in your New Testament deal with men only. The same thing was true with the apostles, the same thing was true with the patriarchs of the 12 tribes, the same thing is true, and I could go on and on and on. So the position of leadership is reserved for men. It doesn't mean, Gail, that men are smarter, men are more spiritual, or even that women are easier to deceive. That's not what the Word of God is saying. Jesus said, because of the curse these are the rules that he gave to establish order. So our problem's not with a particular church culture. Our problem's with Jesus if, if that's not good enough. So, um, you know, put down the book and read the Bible because the Bible is the Word of God. And those books written by women who want to be pastors, um, well, there's in opposition to what the Bible says. So, Gail, I hope that helps. Joseph says, are you familiar with Jan Markell? Uh, she's come out strongly against contemporary music in church. I am familiar with Jan Markell. Um, uh, Joseph, uh, Jan is a, uh, a prophecy. Uh, her ministry is, is, is a ministry uh, focused on prophecy primarily. Um, I don't think it is a particularly healthy or balanced ministry. Um, but but she is a, 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 a teacher of men and women all over the country um, when it comes to the books that she's written and the appearances that she makes, um, when it comes to, to the, the role of prophecy in the world that we live in. She's sort of a female version of Jack Van Impey, if you remember who Jack Van Impey is. He's now with the Lord. Um, so I I, I, uh, hers isn't a ministry I would recommend Um, I am aware that she has come out in the last, just in the last month or so uh, very strongly against contemporary music in church and I think that is short sighted um, and um, um, unnecessary it's not her job to tell a pastor or worship leader um who God has entrusted leadership of the church to, it's not her job to have an opinion on what other churches do. It's just that simple. Um, You know I could say that hymns are the only songs that should be sung in church and um, a lot of the older generation people my age would say, that's right, only hymns. Uh, You know the hymns were written by drunks. Hymns were written by people who lived horribly immoral lives. Fanny Crosby, who I think wrote more uh, hymns than anybody that we're aware of, um, she, she had all kinds of issues with morality. So the idea is not the life of the one who wrote it, but what do the words say? And how does that song hit the heart of the people singing it? And it's impossible for me, Joseph, to to believe that God has stopped writing music now. I think there are gifted men and women that God uses to write music for the church, for worship, but also just for good music and listening. Um, And we want to encourage people to use their gifts. So I personally believe that Jan Markle is wrong. Uh, And again, her ministry is sort of leans toward the sensational and it's just a little bit out of balance. So I wouldn't pay much attention. We have 30 minutes left in the Monday show. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes.
1: back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
2: welcome back to the program we have 30 minutes for your calls and your questions let's go to cindy in san antonio cindy thanks for calling you're on the air
3: hi pastor ron we're to cindy. be we're going to be in the Book of Judges tonight on Monday Night Bible Study, which is always fantastic. And I'm not disputing what the Word says about women being leaders or pastors or anything like that, but, but I think we're going to start studying Deborah uh, this mm-hmm. week maybe. But I wondered if you would clarify what role she played because um, she sounded like she was kind of a judge. So I'll get off the phone and just let you
2: sort this out. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. I can do that. Yeah, I I happen to know because I've been hearing a lot about Deborah and Barak um, with Paula. So Paula is teaching uh, chapter four tonight. Um, One of the things you have to to understand, first of all, the the New Testament, um, the the church is not Israel and Israel is not the church. So when you see the rules uh, that apply to to organization church, the Old Testament has nothing to do with those. Um, the, the 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 Old Testament is written it, for Jews. It's very Jewish and focused on the law. Um, and the New Testament is not. It's for freedom. We've been set free. Uh, secondly, Cindy, the Book of Judges is never ever ever a book to say, "Well, they did it that way in Judges, so that's the way we should do it." The whole theme of the Book of Judges. Is it man did what seemed right in their own eyes or in their own minds, instead of seeking God? The Book of Judges is a time when they only did what they wanted to do, and the the, the Book of Judges it takes about four hundred years of Israel's history or nearly four hundred years of Israel's history. It's the same pattern over and over and over. Um, the, the people sinned. Um, they 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 were oppressed horribly by enemies. They cried out to God, God, in his mercy, answered them and sent them a judge. Uh, A rescuer is actually a better um, definition of the word. It's not a judge like we think of a judge in a robe and a gavel. And then God delivered them. And for a little while, they sort of straightened up and did what was right. Uh, And then they would fall back into sin again. And God would repeat the whole cycle again. He would allow them to be oppressed. Then he would have mercy on them and deliver them over and over and over. And the book of Judges is really, Cindy, a story about God's mercy and his infinite patience with a stubborn, stiff-necked people who only did what they wanted to do, what they thought was right. Not what God thought was right. Now, when you get to Deborah, it's a sad commentary. Remember, Israel had patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They had heroes that were were male figures. And by the time Deborah comes around, basically what we have is, is no man can be found who wants to serve God. There's not a trustworthy man. Now, God always, always has somebody. And in this case, he picked Deborah. Deborah was a prophetess. Deborah loved God. Deborah seems to be a light in the middle of all of that darkness. But the fact that he picked her to be a judge is a rebuke to the men in Israel at that time who wanted nothing to do with the Lord. Deborah was aware of this when when she went to Barak and said, we got a plan. God's going to be there. Uh, You go and and defeat the enemy. And and even Barak, who was a brave man, he he said, well, I'm not going to go unless you go and he, and she he he was told by her that well okay we'll, we'll do it but now the glory that could have been yours is going to be given to uh, a woman and of course uh, that happened and um it's not a good thing it's a bad thing so Cindy i hope that helps remember when you're reading the old testament to compartmentalize if you want to understand the old testament you really got to learn who who God is talking to and what was going on in the world. Judges, I think personally Cindy is the most fun book in the Bible to teach. Uh especially when you get into to chapter 6 when the the story shifts to Gideon. But I think from then on it's such a fun book to teach because there's such marvelous character studies. Um but nonetheless it wasn't a good thing that God was doing then. He was doing, he was being patient, he was being kind. But the people wanted nothing to do with God, and the book of Judges is in fact filled with all kinds of horrendous stories um, as well, because people wouldn't listen. So Cindy, come tonight and enjoy. Here is a question, let me give you the phone number once more, three four zero ninety five eighty five. For your live calls and questions, here's an anonymous question. It said, I'm interested in pursuing a relationship with someone I met online, but she goes to a different style of church than I do. Uh, should I pursue this relationship? Is it okay? Uh, anonymous, you know, that's between you and the Lord. I, I, I don't know. Uh, here's, Here's two things, okay? And, and I'm going to take this opportunity to say what I always say I don't understand. Why Christian men and Christian women, women, are are meeting online? My goodness, um, in churches is where you ought to be meeting your your potential spouses. And the reason is because you get a chance to watch their walk with the G, with the Lord. You get to see what kind of fruit is coming from their lives, and and when you do that, you you really get a chance to serve together. And build your relationship on a solid foundation. Now I understand I'm a dinosaur and, and it's, it, it, people do everything online now. Well, this is one of those things that you shouldn't leave to chance. Follow Jesus. He'll lead you and guide you into the place you need to be. And he'll bring that person into your life. So um, that's out of my system. Um, this is a girl because she goes to a different style of church and you don't give me any more information than that this is a girl that you should sit down and talk with about your views of who Jesus is now if she goes to a different style of church if you mean you, you go to a Christian church she goes to a Catholic church no you shouldn't pursue the relationship but if it's just you're both Christians and her church is different than yours, just in style, uh, well, then you, you've got to talk about it. You know, if the relationship is going to go anywhere, and I, again, I'm not trying to marry you off quickly, but uh, but as, as a, um, a Christian man, you're going to be the head of the household. And what that means is you've got to bring her into partnership with you. You've got to talk about these things. And if you're afraid to talk about something because the relationship is brand new, well, then it's not really on a good foundation anyway. Christians ought to be focused on pleasing the Lord with the relationship. only no, way you can do that is to see if you're walking in the same direction, if you're serving the same Jesus. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? Hemisphere 3 says, and, and that uh, applies in spades uh, in a marriage, Anonymous. So uh, this is... Uh, Impossible for me to answer. I don't know either one of you. But just be open, be honest, and trust God. Trust God. If you do the right thing, and this is a woman that God is bringing into your life, um, He'll take care of it. If you try to take care of it, if you try to manipulate it, it's not going to work out very well for you. It just never does. So I hope that makes some sense to you. Sarah wants to know, um, what will happen to really good people who don't believe in Jesus? What if they were raised in a different faith or no faith at all? Well, Sarah, every man and woman is responsible to deal with the question about Jesus. Who who is Jesus to you? Um, I know we have a tendency to look around and we see people and we think, oh, what a nice person that is but when you use the word good you remember jesus's encounter with the rich young ruler good teacher what must i do to obtain eternal life he said And jesus looked at him and said why do you call me good there's only one good that's god you see we think people are nice that means they're good but the truth is they're just nice people who sin and because they sin they're separated from god and that's the question that has to be answered sarah Sin has to be forgiven. And Jesus is the only possible way to have our sins wiped out. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, your second question, what if they're raised in a different faith or no faith at all? That doesn't relieve any human ever from the responsibility of finding out if what they worship as God really is God For example, if somebody is raised in a Muslim home or in a Muslim nation, if you worship Allah as God, then you're responsible to find out if He really is God. You don't get a pass just because, well, that's what my parents taught me. At some point, we're all accountable to God to find out if the God that we believe in is really God. If He is, His name is Jesus. If He's not it's because it's a God of our own making so it doesn't matter how we were raised and everybody with the heart to find the real God is gonna have Jesus reveal himself to them everybody always think of the Ethiopian eunuch Sarah who was seeking the Lord and God took Philip from a fruitful ministry and and took him out on a road going south and uh, there he is suddenly supernaturally transported and there's the Ethiopian eunuch's um, 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 wagon or whatever they were riding in. Um, he, he would have had a lot of people around him. And he, there's Philip right next to him as he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. If you're really seeking the Lord you'll find him. And then when Jesus says, okay, it's me, I think of Saul of Tarsus who we all know became the Apostle Paul. I think of Saul of Tarsus who says, um, I'm chasing Christians, I'm going to put him away, thought he was serving God. He said he was zealous, but his zeal was not based in any kind of knowledge. And because he was at least genuine in seeking God, Jesus apprehended him on the road to Damascus. So, Sarah, there's no really good people. There's nice people, and there's certainly people nicer than me and better than me. But the standard of heaven is perfection, and only Jesus was perfect. So I hope that makes sense to you. Here is an anonymous question. I have a good friend, a believer, who says speaking in tongues is dangerous and violates Paul's command to be sober minded uh, anonymous um, Paul's not talking about being sober-minded as it relates to speaking in tongues it was also apostle Paul who said that I would you that you all spoke in tongues more than I do now how do you balance those things out now I understand the psychology of your friend here and I'm convinced that he or she is a believer but they're the ones who are missing out because they're not open to any gift that God wants to give them. All you have to do is read 1 Corinthians 12 and then combine it with 1 Corinthians 14. And what you get there is is what the gift of tongues is, how it's to be used individually and personally, and then finally how it's to be used in a corporate setting. Now, if all of those things are given to us in 1 Corinthians why would we think that it violates Paul's command to be sober-minded? The Apostle Paul spoke in an unknown tongue. Not the book of Acts chapter 2 tongue. Not that grand entrance to earth for the first time. But the gift of tongues is a very personal gift. I call it the only vertical gift. You know, all of the other gifts of the Spirit are horizontal. In other words, God's Spirit flows through through us to other people so that we can be a blessing to them. But the gift of tongues, Paul says when a man speaks in tongues, he speaks to God, not to other men. So the idea there is to be encouraged or to be edified, and the gift of tongues is a good gift. I, I Anonymous, have the gift of tongues. Um, it's something that I use every week, um, not for hours and hours and hours. It's not something that I can't control. I can. Um, But it doesn't violate any command to be sober-minded at all. And anybody who doesn't, um, who's afraid of the gift, doesn't want the gift, is basically saying to the Lord, I know it's a gift that comes from heaven, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, but I don't want it. And I just can't imagine uh, not wanting something that God has. As a giver of good gifts and all of us should pursue all of the gifts of the Spirit that God wants to give. Here's a question that I could go on forever with. This is from Dallas, not the city, the man whose name is Dallas. Pastor Ron, I think America is in a downward spiral. Is there any hope to reverse it? Um, uh, Dallas, first of all, let me say the whole world is in a downward spiral spiral we're we're primarily concerned with the united states because that's where we live and this is the country that we love but but i agree with you completely we are in a downward spiral we have turned our back on god um we've kicked him out of every important part of our lives we're raising children to be godless i talked earlier about the gift of or, or the book of judges how it, we lived in a world, they lived in a world where everyone did what seemed right in their own eyes. Well, that's the world that we live in here in the United States. So, we are in a downward spiral. Um, it's it's not worse than it's ever been in, in other parts of the world. It, the, the world has always rebelled against God. But what's happening now is that unbelievers are doing everything they can to eliminate any talk of God in the marketplace. Think about it, we just said this question last week with um, the, the city's decision not to allow Chick-fil-A to, to have a place in the airport. Chick-fil-A is the most successful fast food uh, franchise in the world and because Dan Cathy, the owner of Chick-fil-A, is a Christian because he's closed on Sunday to honor his faith. Um, mostly, however, because they know his position on homosexual marriage, um, they just said, "No, we're a, 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 a friendly city. We're a, we're welcoming to to everybody anyone. and anyone, and so we just don't want Chick Fil A there." Can you imagine? 10 years ago, that being the case, let alone 20 or 50 or 100 years ago? So Dallas, we are in a downward spiral as to whether or not there's any hope to reverse it. You and I, Dallas, we're the hope. And I want this to be really, really personal because we have a tendency as Christians to think about revival and, oh, let the Spirit of God move, and we want Him to for sure. But if there's to be a revival in this country, it's going to start with the church, church sharing the gospel the down and out those who are really sinners and convicted of their sin are going to repent but that's only going to happen dallas if people like you and me live our faith every day jesus called us to be salt and light it's so easy to look at the world and all of the things that are going wrong and say boy the world needs to be saved well in order for that to happen jesus chose you and me to do it So if we're living like we're saved, if we have a Jesus that's so attractive that people who are lost in this world see the way you live your life and they see the joy that you have, then they'd know there's something that you have that they're missing. They'd come and ask us about it. And unfortunately, and I touched on this in an earlier question, we're spending time online tearing down other Christians. I'm not talking about false teachers. We're supposed to tear down false teachers. But we're tearing down other real believers just because they don't do things the way we would do them or because we disagree with them on some minor issues. If we're going to win people's hearts, if we're going to be able to be used by the Lord to um, start a revival, then we've got to be men and women who are so full of Jesus and so full of his joy that the world will notice Let's go to shirts now and talk with Lee on line one. Lee, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
1: You're welcome, Pastor Ron. I wanted to make a comment uh, in regard to the tongues issue. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a, a friend who was a missionary to China, and he was in a meeting where someone started uh, to speak in tongues. The unfortunate thing in this case was. That he was blaspheming the name of Jesus Christ in a dialect that this missionary knew. So that's just one example. I think that would support mm-hmm. this gentleman's friend that of the danger of the issue.
2: Okay. Yeah, you know the devil. The devil is faithful in church attendance all the time as well, Lee. So uh, yeah, that that can be the, the case. And, um, you know, the, the, the words that come out. Now, again, in, in, a, in a case like that, uh, there was somebody speaking in a known language. The gift of tongues is typically in an unknown language. And it, it's a vertical gift where you're, you're, you're praying by faith, relying on the Holy Spirit and um, um, you, you can pray for interpretation uh, when it's used in a corporate setting there always has to be an interpretation so that we can judge whether the word is from God or whether it's not from God in this case they did exactly the right thing and uh, they heard what he was saying it was in a known language and um, and that particular gift um, wasn't a gift from God at all it was a visit of the devil into the church body or into the, into the group so uh, in, in certain cases like that We're to judge those words from the Lord. And I've had times in our afterglows here at Calvary Chapel, Lee, where uh, I've had to say to people, uh, I don't think that one's from the Lord. And I'd explain why. I tell everybody, don't get upset. Just don't think that one's from the Lord. Uh, These words are to to encourage and to edify the body. If it doesn't do that, then it's not from the Lord. So I hope that makes sense. You know, Lee, uh, in terms of a, a known language... I've told this story before, uh, but but we were doing a Joy of Jesus outreach in, in Reynosa, Mexico. And this goes back now, I don't know, 15 years or more. Um, and uh, our junior high school Spanish teacher here at the academy was giving conversational Spanish lessons. And we'd come to church on Thursday nights for an hour, and he would he would help us with basic Spanish to get along. Uh, And and God really honored that when we went. Now, I do not speak Spanish. I understand a tiny, tiny, tiny bit, but I don't speak Spanish at all. Can't even roll my R's. And um, um, we were in the streets, uh, and I always travel with a translator. I've uh, evangelized and, and, and preached in Mexico many times. I always have translators with me. And in this particular time, we had, I think, 150 people that were there um for, for that that weekend event and um uh, that that's just 150 from our church and when i got there and i started sharing jesus i spoke spanish for 2 days i spoke spanish i understood what people were saying to me i'm sure my spanish was awful but they understood uh what i was saying and people just got saved left and right And I just—it was like I was in the Book of Acts, and I was—I was able to be understood. I was able to understand. It was just one of those amazing things. When you're done, you think, "Oh wow, Lord, Your Spirit was moving so powerfully." Uh, Another time, we went to Monterey, and in Monterey, we uh, um, had—I was hoping for the same thing, but it just didn't happen. And, uh, all I could do was like pick up boxes and help people and serve. So, but I had my translator still, but, uh, it just was a sovereign touch of God's hand. Don't be afraid of the gift of tongues and don't let some who abuse the gift of tongues scare you off. Thank you. Appreciate it. Here's a question from Hindle. God bless you, Hindle, my dear friend from Austin area, uh, from our email inbox, um, Regarding Jack Van Impey, he is still alive and has a weekly TV show on YouTube. He's 88 years old, living in Freeport, Michigan. Hindle, thank you for that. I thought he was already uh, with the Lord. So uh, Jack Van Impey is a bit on the sensational side. I wouldn't recommend his ministry, but um, good to know that he is still alive and, and, uh, and still serving the Lord. Three, four... I guess we don't have time. Yeah, we don't have time. Let me see if I have a short question. Josie says, Why do you think the church remains silent on issues of abortion and gay marriage? Josie, I don't know what church you're going to, but the church doesn't remain silent on these issues at all. Um, I I spoke about abortion last week. I speak about gay marriage and homosexual issues a lot as we're teaching through the Bible. Uh, We don't make it our... Main ministry, of course, but we got to tell the truth in love. I'm going to keep this question and do a little bit more on it tomorrow on the program. Josie, thank you for for the question. Hey, you've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Lord willing, I'll be back on AM 630 The Word tomorrow at 4. See you then.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4